Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with Sam Lee today, CEO of North Isle Copper and Gold. They've got a project in northern Vancouver Island, hunting predominantly copper, but with a very large copper creditor too. Um, Sam joined in October, brought a few new people on board, raised some money. We talked to him about the, the new business plan in what was a underfunded junior previously and how he hopes to build this thing out. PA results suggest some rather large uh, opportunity ahead of them. We talked to him about uh, how he hopes to um, be able to create that value uh, and also advance this project. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentary from experts from around the world, including the EV thematic, uh, plus training courses to help you with your diligence process. We've done summaries of all of our interviews to save you some time because we know you're busy people. But most importantly, why don't you go and join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. I hope you think that sounds nice because it is. Uh, so you can find them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Sam, how are you? Very well, Matt. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. So where in the world are you speaking from? Well, we're speaking from uh, sunny Vancouver. Not so sunny now, given it's 5.30 in the morning, but uh, we've had a good run of sunny days over the past uh, while. Fantastic. fantastic. And I appreciate the effort. 5.30 in the morning is is never nice. Uh, I hope you've got lots of coffee in you. My pleasure. Great, great. Well, like, hey, we've not spoken before. Um, We've not had a conversation. I haven't heard the story before, so I'm kind of keen to uh, understand it better. But before we do that, why don't we kick off with a one-minute summary of what it is that you've got there, and I'll pick up with some questions. Sure. Uh, So here at North Isle, we are setting out to be the leading sustainable mineral resource company uh, for the future. So we own about a 50-kilometer stretch of a copper-gold porphyry trend on northern Vancouver Island. We just released a PEA that suggests this project has approximately 5 billion pounds of copper equivalent. Um, if you want to look at it from a gold equivalent perspective, it's got about 9.3 million ounces in gold equivalent. So uh, approximately 22 year life of mine, 150 million pounds of copper equivalent production per year for 22 years. Uh, and approximately, if you want to look at this from a gold perspective, 300,000 uh, ounces of gold equivalent per year. Right. So some pretty big numbers you're throwing around there off the back of the PEA, 44 million uh, market cap. There's a disconnect somewhere. Indeed. Um, So that's what uh, Nick and I are here for. Uh, We joined the company just a few months ago. I think this uh, asset was um, um, almost purposely orphaned over the last uh, nine years as the copper markets uh, retracted. Um, This is a very strong project that was put together by a gentleman named Jack McClintock, who was responsible for discovering Spence for BHP, uh, and uh, and Art Chairman, Chairman uh, Dale Corman, who uh, took Penn Mosquito, developed it uh, through the feasibility study and sold it to, to Glamis. Uh, now, of course, New Muffle with $2 billion. So um, certainly now is the time for North Isle, and uh, our job is to advance this project as quickly as possible. Why, why do you say now is the time? What were Jack and Dale doing? Because, you know, like I say, the PA, there's some, like I said, really big numbers in there, but no one's yeah. listening, it seems. So what were they sure. doing? Were they busy on something else? <laughs> well, you know what? So this asset evolved uh, quite substantially over the past nine years, and 
Um, many people don't know this, but Jack discovered Spence, uh, which is a very significant deposit for BHP. It's now currently producing uh, on a $5 million shoestring budget. Um, so uh, over the last nine years, Jack took this extremely tight uh, behavior around exploration uh, and put together a Hushimud, the Hushimud deposit, the main deposit, uh, with another higher grade, lower strip deposit called the Red Dog deposit. And he put that together, wrapped around the PEA in 2017, uh, performed more metallurgy that improved the recoveries, especially on the gold side. Um, he ended up doing a joint venture with Freeport on a satellite deposit uh, called Pem Pemberton Hills, which has um, some very strong signatures around a much uh, higher grade, lower, deep copper gold porphyry system just adjacent to our project. Um, and that's effectively facilitated uh, a lot of the exploration activity that, uh, that he pursued over the last few years. So the way I like to describe it is that uh, Jack and Dale literally just served this up to us on a silver bladder. Um, obviously, timing is everything. And we are coming into a very strong copper bid right now. Uh, this project um, is a good project at $3 copper. It's a very good project at $3.25 copper, which is what uh, we established the PEA on. And uh, for every 25 cent increment in copper price, the MPV rises about $300 million. So right now, copper is at about 425. That's the dollar above uh, the current contemplated PEA. So you could do the math. Well, yeah, we, we did do the math before we came on. Um, I, I understand potential, but you know, people come on here every day and talk to me about potential. You've actually got to deliver it. And that's the difficulty with junior companies, right? So if I, again, if I look back at your share price, it's been on the rise, you know, since, you know, if I look back to, you know, June, July of this year, you were sub 10 cents, you're around 30 cents. It's great, but copper prices don't all that work for you. Right. So, and even the, you know, when the PEA came out, well, it wasn't that much of a, a change in trend. It wasn't a hockey stick type of response from the market. So I'm just, I'm trying to understand if the market knows something that I don't. Is a project on Northern Vancouver Island a problem in people's minds? Yeah, that's a very good question. And it certainly, it does have a stigma because people associate Vancouver Island with lots of trees and lots of veg vegetation and a, you know, a beautiful environment, which it absolutely is, which all of BC is quite frankly. Um, but the fact of the matter is we are on the Northern tip of Vancouver Island. And Vancouver Island is bifurcated. Uh, you think of it as Campbell River, uh, you know, dividing the South and uh, uh, dividing the North. And so we are literally on the most Northern tip where there has been a tremendous amount of industrial activity. Um, BHP owned and operated the Island Copper Pit, which is just adjacent to our mine. It's about 24 kilometers away from our property. Uh, and so this deposit uh, had all the same signatures, same type of concentrate, same type of mineralization, very similar size as to what we're contemplating, very similar grades to what we're contemplating. That was in production for 24 years. All of that infrastructure still exists today. Um, there is a permitted deep sea water port, again, just 25 kilometers away from our project. Uh, this port obviously was used by BHP to ship their high premium copper concentrate, copper and moly concentrate to Sumitomo, uh, which obviously they uh, require and pay for premium concentrate with low deleterious elements, low arsenic, high concentrations of copper and gold. Um, so very high 
premium quality uh, concentrate, which we uh, believe our project has given this just an extension of the BHP Island Copper Pit. And I think one of the most, uh, you pointed uh, on it uh, exactly, the, the, there is a disconnect between the idea that we have this project versus actually developing it through these stage gates. Um, and so the first thing that I did when I joined in October, October uh, was to recruit somebody that had the gravitas to actually provide that credibility as we go forward. And I think I uh, found probably the perfect person in Kevin O'Kane. So Kevin spent uh, almost 40 years at BHP. Um, 37 of those years he spent uh, obviously developing some of the most formative minds in the world, uh, operating, uh, expanding Escondida, Spence, uh, Sarah, Colorado, but Interesting enough, he was actually the chief mining engineer for this island copper mine, which is sits adjacent to ours. And so he spent 13 years living in Port Hardy uh, and two of his sons were actually born in Port Hardy and he loved the community, loved the experience. This mine for BHP was noted as the, you know, uh, school of mines for that organization, uh, so to speak. So I think there is a, there is certainly affinity for him to come back home and to join us. Uh, he's on our board. Uh, and to effectively set out the nucleus to, uh, you know, to, to show that we have the core ability to develop this through the species and potentially into production. Right. But to answer the question, does the market know something that I don't in, in, the, in the sense that are people against mining in northern Vancouver Island? Has BP left something behind which left a sour taste in the mouth? Or... Are permits, environmental uh, permits, going to be easy to come by because you're talking the language of sustainable mining? Yeah, I think those are absolutely two ends of the bookend uh, right there. So I think the answer is absolutely the community is very supportive of this mine. As I said, they, they remember this mine as being very positive uh, for the general community. The Port Hardy, which is only about 20 minute drive from the island copper pit and only about a half an hour drive to our property. They're known for mining, fishing, and logging. Um, so Western Forest Products owns all the surface rights as it relates to logging, uh, and they're currently active. There are other mines, active mines that are in the vicinity uh, that, you know, obviously use Port Hardy, Port Alice as part of their, their focal point. Uh, and then of course, the probably the most important answer to your question is First Nations. And so how do they actually believe, um, you know, what happened at the Island Copper Mine and what will potentially happen at our project? Do they believe that is a net benefit to, uh, to their communities and their nation? And I can say that they certainly have been supportive around our project moving ahead. They certainly um, have been supportive uh, uh, around the infrastructure that BHP left, they, they purchased the surface rights uh, for the island copper uh, mine, um, but for the mine and the and, and the foreshore, for which we are contemplating using as part of our PEA, um, and certainly our efforts moving ahead is going to be laser focused on developing that relationship with all three First Nation groups that are involved. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk about the project then, because you arrived in October. You you made some hirings. Uh, to enable you. So let, let's talk about the boards, okay? We, we've, we've talked about Dale and, and Jack. Obviously, the, the, you know, they founded this thing. 
But we need to move this thing forward now. You need to move this thing forward in the eyes of the market. So um, what's the plan? Yes, that's right. So we are continuing to grow the team. Uh, Nick Van Dyke was the next hire that I I, I, um, focused on. So Nick has a very uh, similar background as I do. I spent over 20 years in investment banking. I'm a metallurgist uh, by training. Nick spent um, 10 years uh, as an investment banker and as a publishing analyst. He then moved over, um, saw the light, uh, and he became an executive at Polaris. And the significance of that is Polaris owns the rock quarry just south of our mine and deals with one of the First Nations group that we are looking to deal with uh, as well. And so Nick really has developed uh, not only relationships, but an understanding of how to do business in that region. Um, So uh, communications, uh, community relations, uh, First Nations targeting, that is absolutely critical in in answering your question uh, around developing this mine. I, I truly believe if, if you can address the question around reconciliation and water quality, then the permitting process for any mine in BC gets enhanced. And so I think as we continue on building off of this nucleus, uh, we have to now focus on the environmental the social and the sustainability factors of of this project. And I think you'll see hopefully in short order, uh, some developments uh, around that front. Uh, Obviously financing is is going to be critical as we go through the stage gates rather. Um, But I'd like people to think about this the way we think about it, which is at every different point of every stage gate, we will have to make very informed capital allocation decisions uh, and then find out the least dilutive way, lowest cost of financing uh, option to satisfy each stage gate as we move ahead. So it's not a billion dollar CapEx or a billion dollar raise that we need to do when we're a $50 million company. We'll do the appropriate raise as we have done over the past uh, four or five months since Nick and I have joined uh, in a disciplined manner and a manner that's least dilutive to shareholders. It's very important to note that uh, we're all in this together, right? So the management team owns approximately 19% of the outstanding shares um, on a fully diluted basis. Uh, it's about 23%. And the, the, I think the, the rationale that I bring that up uh, is because I'm not taking a salary for the first year. So I'm, I'm fully vested in this. I've bought 2 million shares uh, of my own, using my own money, and I fully get paid in options. Uh, and so my options were priced the day I started, uh, and that makes me um, completely levered to this story uh, alongside every other shareholder. So it is very important, and our, uh, sorry, it, uh, our, our chairman also is our largest shareholder at approximately 13%. So from our perspective, it is absolutely imperative that again, we choose the lowest cost financing alternatives for every stage gate. And part of that equation is to have a very disciplined capital allocation program. I hear you, but I also hear that every day of the week. Okay, I also hear the sustainability argument every day of the week. I'm interested really in what the deliverables are. I, mean, I get that you're not gonna dilute shareholders. You've, you put your own hard-earned money into this thing. I get all of that, right? 
I'm more interested in this. How do we move this story forward? You've got the PEA now, some big numbers in there. There, there comes a point when it stops being about the numbers, but it's about working towards the economics of, of those numbers, right? So can you show that you've got an economic viable project, which is, as you say, it's a medium-sized project. It's not a, you know, a behemoth uh, scenario where, you know, the majors are going to compiling in here. But it's going to be attractive to, you know, 15, 20 companies out there. Is that the name of the game for you? It make this attractive for someone else to walk in with their balance sheet and get this thing going? Or are you the guys to take it into production? Yeah, so I'm a very firm believer that you can only control what you can control. Uh, and obviously, my background is M&A uh, and financings. I've done over $100 billion of these things. I've seen hundreds of projects uh, that work and that don't work uh, through any parts of the cycle. And so part of that information has informed me uh, to, to, to land on this project. So I absolutely believe this project is developable. Um, our PEA suggests that it is a very good project. Um, at $3.25 copper, this project is a $1.1 billion Canadian project. It's approximately 19% uh, IRR, which for a 22-year mine life project um, is a very respectable IRR. So this is don't think of this as a three, five to eight-year goal project. Think of this as a robust 20, 25-plus-year project. Um, so the economics today suggests that this is uh, something that should be moved to the next stage gate. Um, it is one of the lowest cost, um, potentially the lowest cost uh, projects out there. And that's because of the infrastructure that is in place today because of that island, BHP's island copper pit. It's also because of the fact that we have one of the lowest strip ratios. The project itself strip ratio is approximately 0.7. It's informed by the first six years, uh, uh, an asset called Red Dog, which has a lower, uh, less than 0.2 to one strip ratio. So this project um, has a lot of obviously significant factors to it that actually make it economical and certainly worthwhile advancing to the PFS. Um, you know, the third part of the stool, if you will, uh, is the exploration portion of it, which we're aggressively pursuing today. Uh, we've got three pillars to that strategy as well. Uh, one is our blue sky greenfields exploration uh, through our Pemberton Hills project. This is, um, you know, a, a project that has a lot of similarities to the Timok project in Serbia, which was owned by uh, Nevsin and Freeport, and most recently sold uh, to Zijin for about $1.5 billion. Um, so this, this area was an area that we had a joint venture with Freeport. Uh, we're now doing the drilling ourselves. We've just raised a, a $10 million. A portion of that is going towards uh, uh, drilling out this and seeing what we have. This could be a potential game changer for the company. The second strategy uh, is to enhance our project, right? So we've got this higher grade, lower strip portion uh, on the Red Dog project. We're going to focus uh, our drill exercise uh, on that over the next few months. And then the third is to expand out Hushimu, which is in our view, kind of the lowest low hanging fruit and very easily expandable to a size that will uh, attract uh, the majors and, and get us to over a billion uh, tons of resources. So I think all three strategies kind of inform our strategy, overall strategy around project, but also on the exploration side uh, around Pemberton Hills. Right, so you're just keeping all options on the table. That's what I just heard. Optionality is worth something, my friend, and that's something that we, uh, Nick and I, are very familiar with. 
Okay, fine. But but it, but give me give me a sense of where, what the ideal scenario looks like. As in, you're not mind builder. Is anyone on this team a mind builder? Kevin Kevin is probably one of the most uh, impressive mind builders uh, uh, that I've met. Certainly, but and, he's uh, he's on the board. Is, is he? But but is he is he doing anything? Is it just a, like a name check? Yeah. Yeah, so we are absolutely uh, running like a junior company in the sense that it is an all hands on deck, right? So everyone has to do everything, right? So I'm the CEO, but I do everything from investor relations to finance to engineering. I try to leverage my metallurgy background because that's a big component of the story. Uh, And Kevin has stepped down, so to speak, and led our technical team around certainly uh, the progression of the project through into PEA, um, but he's also leading our discussions, probably most importantly with BHP. Um, so he is, he's obviously got a significant pedigree within that organization and brings that level of credibility uh, for us as we go through and talk about using their infrastructure. Right, so you just raised 10 million bucks, Circa. Um, how are you gonna spend it? You're gonna spend it wisely and frugally and you know, less, dilutive manner as possible. So what exactly will you be delivering for 10 million? How long does that last you? Where does it get you? Sure. So that's the capital allocation question, which is as important, if not more important than the dilution question, right? Um, So the capital allocation, as we see it right now, is that, as I described it before, uh, spending approximately half of it in exploration to see what we have as it relates to the greenfield stuff, but more importantly, to inform some of the trade-offs as it relates to the project. So we have a larger deposit called Hushimu, and we've got a smaller, higher grade, lower strip deposit called Red Dog. And of course, uh, we would put the infrastructure around the larger deposit around Hushimu. If we start finding what we think is there around Red Dog, then that would actually inform where we put the infrastructure. So all that ties in to the critical path items around developing the project. And we should have a very strong understanding of what we have at Red Dog um, by the end of the summer that will inform, again, that critical path to how you know where we place our infrastructure as part of the PFS. The good news is that none of the work that we're doing today to advance the PFS is dependent on that information. And so we are progressing it we're hitting the button today to get all of the lead time activities done um, prior to having these larger decisions, these trade-offs um, in- implemented as part of the scope of the PFS. See, I'm intrigued by that. You're going to spend half of the money that you've got when you've recently raised on doing exploration. You know, I'm looking at this thing going, you've got enough copper, you've got enough gold. You maybe you want to move it from inferred to indicated. That might be a really good use of money. But going finding more pounds, you're going to get to that point where you're going to become unattractive to people because they're never going to be able to afford to do the development into production because there's going to be a big capex number associated with this. So why have you chosen to do more exploration, find more pounds? Yeah, it's a very good question. Part of that is my personal belief in Jack McClintock. So uh, I've been looking many, many months, if not years, to partner up with an exploration geologist, a project geologist of Jack's caliber. So Jack uh, spent many, many years uh, with uh, Rio Algome and BHP. He discovered the Spence deposit, uh, which BHP is now currently producing at 230,000 tons of copper a year, a very significant project. 
Um, he's one of the best as it relates to copper gold porphyry systems. Over the last 10 years, the company, uh, through no fault of his own, was completely undercapitalized. And so whilst uh, Jack discovered BHP on a $5 million budget, um, he did not have the luxury of riches over the last 10 years uh, around this deposit. We have a 50 kilometer strike length uh, span reach starting from the island copper pit around unexplored territories that Jack has spent many, many years triangulating on, on the, the, the most appealing targets. And so when I joined, I was uh, committed to understanding what we actually have as it relates to the exploration package. Because again, that is going to inform how we move ahead with the contemplated project and how we move ahead with the company as a whole. So I think that from a strategic perspective, it is always uh, helpful to get as much information as you can, especially when there wasn't very much information initially uh, on the prospectivity of the area. And I do put my faith in Jack, certainly, you know, as, as a CEO, you need to put your faith in the team members. And I do think he's a wonderful exploration geologist. Um, but I think we'll have enough information from this program to inform us as, uh, as to how much we have at Red Dog, right? As to whether or not the philosophy at Pemberton Hill, uh, Hills is intact. And on the Hushimu side, it, that's what we categorize as almost the low-hanging fruit, given that this copper gold porphyry sits on its side, is tilted to its side. And so all the step-out drilling we expect is going to just continue the deposit to the southeast. So growing that tonnage to over a billion tons, I think, is, is reasonably expected. And then the rest obviously informs different parts of the strategy. So once we have that in place, then we'll have the full confidence of where to be putting the mill, where to be putting putting the tailings facility, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, look, you've, you've explained why you're doing it. It just feels like, you know, Hushimi is obviously most advanced and, and Red Dog, and we're talking about, you know, what, what you do with Pemberton. But right now, in terms of, you know, the money raised at the price that you raised, in fact, what did you raise it at? What was the price of the... So, so when, when we started the company, the company was about a $10 million company. I was trading at 12 cents, which is where my options are priced at. Um, so our average price that we raised, so we essentially raised the market cap of the company over the past few months, and the average price was about 27 cents. So that, um, I think that demonstrates our ability to do, you know, not non-dilute financings, but but certainly getting the best price for uh, for the levels that we need at the at the time. It helps, right? I guess this comes this comes down to da more data is more data. That's always good, and you can make better decisions with more data. But timing is also really really important. So, did you? What were the other considerations in terms of how you spent this money, which you raised at twenty seven cents, versus the value you could create by doing it a different way and raising more money for exploration at a higher rate further down the line? Because the exploration isn't critical to today's um, value creation process that you're going to go through, is it? I think it is. I, otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Uh, that that is the that that's absolutely the critical uh, question around capital allocation. And so, to put it very simply, Pemberton Hills could be a game changer. This could be absolute world class deposit that every single major in the world would be interested in if we prove out the theory. Red Dog 
if we move it from 50 million tons to two to three million, 100 million tons, which is the goal, don't know whether it's going to happen, that completely changes the proposition of the project. As we all know, GT Gold, it's a similar style deposit, but they've got this higher grade lens that goes deeper, which creates more of a open pit underground scenario, uh, which is what attracted Newmont to, to effectively make a bid for them for 500 million bucks. Um, so, I, 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 and then Hushimu, as I just said, to be able to reasonably easily grow that tonnage by 25, 35%, uh, why wouldn't you do that? Because then again, it does create that attractiveness around breadth and scale uh, to anybody who's looking at it, majors, intermediates, investors alike. So, so I do think very, very strongly that the capital allocation decision around these programs are extremely well thought out and provide uh, potentially provide uh, incredible value and immediate value to the shareholders, which is why we're focusing on it. Okay. Well, why don't we leave it there? I think you've articulated and you dealt with some, some tough questions with regards to why you're doing things in the order that you're doing them. Um, we can talk about the projects at, a, at another date, um, but I'm, I'm more interested in like you. You're, you're the new guy on the block. You made some hires, and I'm just intrigued as to what you're setting out to try to do, um, whether you've got the strategy right. Well, thank, well, thanks for that. And I, I do appreciate these questions. They are quite um, good questions and ones that we obviously, as part of the management of the board, contemplate on a daily basis. I think one element that you don't uh, focus on and perhaps uh, we focus on, uh, you know, more than any other junior company that I know on is, is this idea of sustainability. And I know that it's something, as you mentioned, that's thrown around a lot. I know that there are bold goals um, uh, within the junior and also the senior space around carbon neutrality over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I, and I absolutely applaud these these bold goals, because without goals, what are we? What can we achieve? Having said that, uh, in my mind, the absolute premise behind carbon neutrality, neutrality is access to clean, renewable power. And it has to be cheap, obviously, to make a project economical. So here in BC, we have access to 100% hydro and wind power. We actually, our project actually has BC's largest wind power farm to the north of our project, which has more than enough capacity to satisfy our project requirements. We have the ability to contemplate electrification of haulage trucks with trolley assist, obviously because we're an open pit mine, we need the right contours to, to, um, to, to have the ability to access this, which again is all going to be contemplated as we progress this into the pre-feasibility and the feasibility. So all of this is front and center as it relates to our philosophy, our belief system. And for fun, we actually put a in our press release um, some carbon metrics, right? And so for us, we're not saying that these are the best metrics in the world, but at least it references where, where we are today and where we need to get to in the future. And so having access to this clean and cheap power, seven cents a kilowatt hour power in BC, the, the intent of, of creating uh, a project that has a low footprint and that could potentially be carbon neutral net zero um, is something that is entirely within our purview 
over the next few years. I, I get it. And, and again, it's a thing that people do talk about. And I think Canada is blessed with a lot of hydroelectricity and it is cheap. Um, and, and people perhaps even get a little bit casual about it. They, they, they use it and they have it and they don't extol its virtues like you're doing. But I think with copper, you've kind of almost got to, because you're talking about feeding into an electric revolution. You spent a few pages on your PowerPoint talking about the EV thematic and need for large copper discoveries because of that. Um, yeah, that whole, that whole supply chain needs to deal with, um, you know, CO2 emissions and whether it be mining, whether you can sequester some of that or whether you can do more as an industry to uh, reduce your own, your own emissions is, is great. So, like, I, you know, I salute you that you're measuring it and you want to be judged on it and maybe more people should do that too. So, uh, yeah, I hear you. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate your time today. Um, stay in touch. Let's know how you get on. Interesting project. Well, thanks very much, uh, Matt, for that. It was a great interview. I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here in terms of how you know we think about the project. And one is that this is the most one of the most developable projects that I know of, uh, certainly in Canada uh, and potentially in the world. Um, it's a project that we are committed again to uh, the highest standards of sustainability, uh, and uh, we are committed to our partners. Uh, First Nation partners and community partners, uh, and that's going to advance along very quickly. We're also spending a lot of time on the drill bit to ensure uh, that we are uh, enhancing value immediately for shareholders. And then, of course, we're always going to take a very disciplined approach around not over diluting our shareholders at any given point of our capital strategy. So uh, so with that, uh, thanks again for, uh, for the opportunity to speak to your audience and uh, really look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.